beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we were living in northeastern Brazil many years ago, we had a door which was destroyed by termites. Now, there's a certain type of termite in the area in which we were living, which loves soft wood, and, and so the door was totally consumed in the inside, and they didn't like the taste of the varnish. And so there was this paper-thin covering that was still on the door. When you looked at the door, it looked whole, but it was hollow and weak, paper-thin. You could poke a hole in the door. It was a wooden door. You could poke a hole in it with your finger. Now, the Lord Jesus has told us in verse 20 of our chapter that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says that because the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is hollow and paper thin and useless. Now, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we have to remind ourselves who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking to us. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the problem is not just the scribes and the Pharisees. That's an intellectual problem. That's a historical problem that belongs to other people in another time and another place. And it's very comfortable for us to sit here on a Sunday morning in our nice, comfortable pews and tut-tut about how bad these people were. But the gospel comes to us this morning. And Jesus calls us away from the fake, the useless, the paper-thin righteousness of the Pharisees. The Lord Jesus is talking to us. And you know, by nature, we're all inclined to be Pharisees and scribes and legalists. We look in the mirror, and often a Pharisee is staring back at us. It's kind of built in to who we are as fallen human beings, that we gravitate towards legalisms. Legalism. You talk to a child who was born in the church, baptized in the church, raised in the church. Talk to a young child and ask them, how do you get into heaven? And how often will you not hear a list of checkboxes? Well, I've got to be a good child. I've got to listen to my mommy and daddy. I've got to read the Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to not do bad things. And these are all true. But rarely do we hear little children who have been under the preaching and the teaching of the gospel all their life, and even adults, Rarely do we hear people get to the very core and the foundation of righteousness. That I know that I am in the kingdom of heaven and that I will live forever in the kingdom of heaven because of Christ, my righteousness. Not because of the paper-thin, termite-consumed, hollow, useless door of my righteousness, but because of the solid 
wood of the cross. That is what protects our status in the kingdom of heaven. And so, as we go through uh, after chapter 5, verse 20, as we go through some of the examples that the Lord Jesus brings from verse 21 onwards, we see him throughout this chapter poking holes in our fake, human, pathetic, works-based righteousness. Because we look at the law, and we think we come off pretty good. We're pretty sure we're not murderers and adulterers. Yep, check, check. Okay, move on to the next commandment. But what the Lord Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount here, he shows us the depth and the width of the commandment. He shines the light of the law into the deepest recesses of our heart, and he exposes sin. Now, why does he do that? Is the Lord Jesus wanting to make us feel bad and feel that we're terrible people? Does he want to make us all depressed and, and hopeless and despairing? No. The Lord Jesus exposes our darkness to drive us to himself, to the light of the world. He exposes our sin and our unworthiness so that we learn to run to him. He who is our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so this morning again, as we come to our text, verses 31 and 32, we need to remember what the Lord Jesus is doing so we know what to expect from the teaching of the Word. What are we expecting when we come to church and we see a text like this? Are we expecting an in-depth exposition of the Bible's teaching on divorce and remarriage? Perhaps some of you came thinking, well, goody, I get to hear a wide-ranging biblical overview of this topic and all the legitimate and illegitimate ways that people can divorce and get remarried. And if that's what you came for, you're going to be very disappointed because that is missing Jesus' point. There is a time and a place to talk about biblical principles of divorce and remarriage, but this is not the time, and this is not the place. Jesus is confronting us with checkbox Christianity, and as we come to verses 31 and 32, I think many, most of us can say, well, this doesn't really apply to me, does it? I haven't written my wife or my husband a certificate of divorce. So let's move on to the next commandment. And that's exactly where the Lord wants us to stop. It is so easy to say, check. I am a keeper of the law. This doesn't really apply to me. And especially maybe if I'm single. I say, well, if I've been called to a life of being single, if I'm one of those special um, operatives in the army of the kingdom of God that has been given a special task, then I might think, well, you know, this is for the married people. No, it's for all of us. There are biblical teachings and principles for all of us, and all of us as God's people are called in the place and in the roles and the offices and the callings we have to promote the holiness and the health of godly marriage. 
And so we, we look at our text, and we, if you've got an ESV, you notice there's a title that the editors have added. It's titled Divorce, and it is speaking about a certificate of divorce. Now, what is divorce? Well, divorce is the tearing apart of what God has joined together. Divorce is like ripping a human being into two parts. The Bible talks about marriage as the husband being the head and the woman being like the body. So a divorce is like ripping somebody's head off their body. It is painful. It is traumatic. It brings death and destruction. And it leaves deep scars for everyone, for the man and the woman and the children. We live in a world in which increasingly almost everyone we meet is hurt and scarred by the pain and the trauma of divorce, either in their lives or in the lives of their parents. And perhaps you're here this morning and you carry the pain of divorce in the far past or the more recent past or even something you're dealing with right now still. And you're sitting here and thinking, well, what's going to happen now? Maybe you're afraid of, of being accused and being judged and being beaten over the head with the Word of God and being told how you're a very bad person for not having a perfect marriage or for not having had one in the past. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the Lord Jesus called you here for. If you're hurting, if you're in pain, because of the brokenness of marriage. Listen for the gospel. Listen for the gospel. The gospel is good news. Jesus has good news for you this morning. He loves you. And in him you are perfect and righteous and holy. That's what he's teaching us, brother and sister. He's teaching us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven not to look to ourselves, not to trust in our own paper-thin fake righteousness, but to embrace him as our perfect righteousness. You know, we look to ourselves. There's so much broken. There's so much that doesn't measure up. And we look to Jesus, and we see who we are in him. And we know that we are perfect and good and holy and righteous and acceptable and beloved in Christ. Listen for the gospel. And so the Lord Jesus calls the attention of his listeners to Deuteronomy chapter 24. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of Divorce. Now, he's still expounding the seventh commandment, but he's coming at it now from a different angle. The certificate of divorce is literally a writing of severance, something which cuts the relationship. It is a certificate which releases from the obligations of marriage that the the, the, the parties are no longer bound by the mutual covenant of promise and obligation. The marriage is undone. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, you, you remember chapter 24, we, we read there that if, if he finds some indecency in her, he can, and he writes this certificate. The scribes and the Pharisees miss the point. I don't know if you noticed when I read that, if you just turn to chapter 24 again, 
I kind of read the first verses all in a row and, and kind of emphasized verse 4, because that's the point. God says through Moses in Deuteronomy 24, well, if there's a marriage, and if the guy finds something indecent, and if he writes her a certificate of divorce, and if she goes away, and if all this stuff happens, the point is she can't come back to the first husband because she's defiled. That's the point. They miss the point, as the Pharisees and scribes always gloriously miss the point. And so they read it differently. They read it like not just a description of what's happening, they read it as a command. Well, if you find something indecent in her, let him write a certificate of divorce. That's not what it says. There's no command to write a certificate. There's just a description of this happening. And we learn from the Lord Jesus in another part of the Gospels that this was permitted, not commanded, because of the hardness of heart of God's people. So there's no command. There's just a description. Now, the, the, the Jews had a, a lot of debate about this. They, they interpreted as a command, let him write her a certificate of divorce. And then they argued about, well, on what basis can you write the certificate? And there were different camps. The one camp said, well, it has to be something that is to do with sexual sin and immorality. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, if there was adultery and it was proven, then the adulterous party would be killed. So the marriage would be terminated by death. So then you don't need to write a certificate of divorce. So the one group saw the something indecent as being sexual immorality, but not leading up to actual adultery. The other group, they said, well, a man can divorce his wife for anything. If she burns his food, you're out of here. Get lost. You're not a good cook. I want another wife. That's actually how they saw the law. And then there was a third group, and they said, well, even if she doesn't do anything wrong, if he sees another woman that he prefers, that's enough. If he just sees another woman who is more pleasing, he can get rid of his current wife. And so they spent a lot of time arguing about this, the finer points of the law, how you could end your marriage. And the Lord Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount that they are missing the point. The point of the law of God, the point of marriage, is not to talk about all the ways that we can break it in a legitimate manner. There's only one legitimate reason for a child of God to declare that the marriage is undone, and that is sexual sin. That's what the Lord Jesus says. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So that's the only time in the Christian life and a Christian marriage that a believer can say, I am undoing this marriage. Because there has been sexual sin, the holiness of the marriage bed has been defiled, and there was defilement and pollution in the marriage, and then the innocent party has the right, not the duty, but the right, the right to undo the bonds of marriage. Now, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, he mentions another time when marriage is broken, 
And that is when the believer acknowledges when the other party has definitively destroyed the marriage. And in that case, when the other party, under under certain circumstances, has totally destroyed the marriage, then, says the apostle, the believing party, the innocent party, is not bound. The marriage is undone. But in that 1 Corinthians 7, 15 case, it is not the believer who takes the action to do that. In here, in Matthew chapter 5, it is the believer that may take action to undo the marriage. And so, the Lord Jesus says, look, if marriage is undone for any other reason except sexual sin, then the person who undoes the marriage and this applies to the wife or the husband, causes the other person in the marriage to commit adultery. Now, now notice the wording here. If you look at your Bible, the Bible doesn't say, if you divorce your wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, then she commits adultery. It doesn't say that. The the, the verb here is in the passive. It's hard to see in the English because it's hard to translate. But But it doesn't say she commits adultery. It says he makes her to be in the state of adultery. He's the one doing it. She's not choosing it. He's the one doing it. He's causing her to be in a state of adultery. Now, Now, why? How does that work? Well, we live in different times. And in our time, it is possible, not always, but often, for a woman who is single, who is a widow, who is divorced to live on her own and support herself. Back then, very difficult. The way that society was structured, if a woman was sent away from her husband by her husband, she would need to find a man to take care of her, to provide for her, to give her protection, and to provide her food and her shelter. And so what the Lord Jesus is saying is is that if the marriage is undone, for frivolous reasons, for reasons which are not legitimate, the man is pushing his wife out and pushing her into adultery. Because in the eyes of God, she's still married to the man who sent her away. But she can't do anything about it. And so, undoing marriage without biblical and lawful reasons drives her into a relationship which is unclean. Why? Because what God has joined together, let not man separate. We can pretend that our marriage is ended, but if the marriage has not been ended lawfully in the eyes of God, then we're just pretending. And if we go on living as if we're not married when we are in the eyes of God, the state may agree with us, Our neighbors may agree with us. Even maybe fellow believers may agree that we're doing okay. But the Bible says we're living in sin. And so what is the teaching of the Lord Jesus? The teaching is the teaching of the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Now the Lord Jesus has taught us that keeping this command means far more than just avoiding the committing of the actual act. It means rooting out lust out of your heart and your life. And now he adds more teaching. 
undoing a marriage for frivolous reasons does not undo it in the eyes of God. And that means that sexual intimacy with someone else after an unbiblical and unlawful divorce is adultery. That's the clear teaching of the Word of God. Now, what are we to learn from this? Most of us have not faced and will not face this situation. But we have to remember the sixth and the seventh commands, how they fit together in the purposes of God in creation. The sixth command to preserve life. The seventh command to preserve love. And you remember that cascading and increasing glory and joy as, as life gives birth to love and love gives birth to life and it just grows and grows until one day it fills the earth with image bearers of God, sons and daughters of the living God. Now, marriage, the marriage covenant is the sacred place where this happens. The marriage covenant is a place of life and love protected by covenant faithfulness. And so marriage is one of the key institutions that God instituted in order to work his purpose of life and love in this world. And that's why the devil hates it. The devil hates life. The devil hates love. The devil hates covenant faithfulness. The devil hates marriage. And so he tries to destroy them all. He tries to destroy life with hate and anger and conflict and murder. He tries to defile and destroy love with sexual perversion and lust and adultery and immorality. And he tries to destroy marriage because it is the divine institution of covenant faithfulness where life and love can flourish and grow safely. These are deep things built into the way God made the world to be. And there is a reason why when we look out into the world around us, the broken world, the fallen world, there's a reason why the kingdom of darkness has got a target lock on exactly these things, on life, on love, and on marriage. The devil knows very well what the foundations of human society, family, and life are. And so he attacks them. And look at all the ways he does that. The kingdom of darkness promotes, promotes death and defilement in so many ways with, with abortion and, and so-called made, government-assisted suicide, which is at first a right and then becomes quickly a duty. The, the devil attacks with every sexual perversion which is celebrated so openly in our times. The devil attacks with no-fault divorce, which has devastated uh, our society. Things have massively changed in our society since no-fault divorce was brought in. It has destroyed the fabric of society. It has broken the family. And then he adds to that the wickedness of homosexuality and every other perversion of sexuality. And you notice what they all, all have in common. What they all have in common is that there is no possibility 
of producing life. That's what the devil loves. Perversion, a perversion of sexuality, and a perversion of the purpose of marriage so that it is defiled and that it is, by definition, barren. And you add to that transgenderism, which just brings it a step further as people that could possibly have children are now mutilated and sterilized. And you see that from every angle, the devil is waging full-on war against life, against love, and against marriage. Well, that's the enemy. But over against all this, we in the kingdom of God, we as Christians, we value and we honor and we promote marriage. Why? Because we know how important it is to God's plan. Malachi 2.15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. The prophet tells us God fills the marriage relationship with the union of his spirit because he wants it to be a place where holy children of the living God are born and loved and raised so that love brings forth life and life comes to produce love and so on. And so he says, so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. You see, breaking your marriage is not just a sin against your husband or wife. It's not just a sin against your children. It's not just a sin against an institution in the abstract. It is a sin against the Creator. It is fighting the very purposes of God for you and for the world. You see, marriage is like a womb. A womb is a safe place to nurture life, to protect life, to allow life to develop and flourish. In the Old Testament times, and actually still today, I've spoken with Canadian soldiers returning from overseas postings who have witnessed even today, this is one of the horrors of war, that people just cast off all restraint and rip open pregnant women and kill their children. That still happens today. It's the kingdom of darkness with its hatred of life and love. And so marriage is like a womb, and breaking marriage is like ripping open a womb. It is an act of violence. It is an act of uh, attacking life and love, an attack on the work of God, an attack on the very character of God, a treasonous attack against the kingdom of God. And so as God's people, we are exhorted by the apostle, Hebrews 13 verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. You see, it's exactly because sexual immorality defiles and destroys marriage that we ought to hate it and ruthlessly root it out and destroy it. There are two... There are two sides here. There's not a third choice. There is no neutrality. Either we're on God's side or we're on the devil's side. There's no third option. 
If you're living unrepentant in sexual sin, in adultery, in addiction to pornography, when inside or outside of marriage you use sex to satisfy your perverse lust rather than consecrate it as something holy and life-giving which belongs to love and which is for the glory of God. You know, you may have a paper-thin camouflage or covering of righteousness, and people might think you're a good person, but Jesus is telling you that that's useless. It's absolutely useless. God will not be mocked. You are, even now, unrepentant sinner outside of the kingdom. You who now hate and despise and destroy holy marriage, even if you manage to do it in a way where everybody thinks you're such a great person, you will be excluded from the great wedding feast of the kingdom. What does Jesus tell us? Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. How is the door to your heart? How is the door to your home, the door to your marriage? Is it a door with that eaten out, paper-thin, fake righteousness of the Pharisees? Is it papered over so that you look good to others and maybe even fool yourself? You know, we're listening to this, we're looking at this and saying, well, okay, I haven't divorced, I haven't committed adultery, and I'm not living in sexual sin. Check, 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 check. Brothers and sisters, that's not the point. There are so many ways of beginning the work of destroying your marriage. There are so many ways of living in a way which begins to undo your marriage, even though on the outside it looks like it's not undone. If you live in selfishness, if you live in a way where you're growing cold to one another, you don't pray together anymore, you don't read the scripture, you don't spend time to know each other, and you're growing apart, and there's apathy, or you're married to your work or your hobbies, and there's an undeclared divorce because there are other things in your life that you find more attractive, more interesting, and more valuable than your husband or your wife. If you fail to plan to spend time together, if you fail to be intentional and deliberate in loving one another, or if we're attacking and hating, abusing, mistreating, controlling, hurting, putting down our spouse. There are so many ways to divorce your spouse without divorcing your spouse. You can undo a marriage without undoing a marriage. You can be an angel at church and a demon at home. And you can fool a lot of the people, a lot of the time, but you cannot fool God. God will not be mocked. Do not be deceived, says the Scripture. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. It is my duty as a preacher of the Word of God to warn you solemnly that you can live your entire life with a paper-thin cover of righteousness. You may even make people think that you're a wonderful husband and a wonderful wife and have a wonderful marriage. But the day is coming when every secret and hidden thing will be revealed, when what is said in secret will be spoken out loud, when the light will shine into the darkest corners, when all will be exposed. And brother and sister, it is my duty to call you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to give up that useless, that fake, and that paper-thin righteousness of legalism. And to call us all to Christ. Christ calls us out of the darkness into the light. Christ calls us from the kingdom of death and hate into the kingdom of life and love. Christ calls us away from a paper-thin cover of fake righteousness to a real and overwhelming, overflowing, infinitely abundant righteousness. Christ calls us to exchange that useless paper-thin door eaten out by the termites of legalism and sin with that solid wooden door built with the wood of the cross. He calls us to a mystery of a marriage which is built on him, which is held together in him, which is filled with his love and his spirit and which reflects his unbreakable covenant of faithfulness with his bride, the church. And if we leave the church of us thinking to ourselves, well, I, I, I haven't committed adultery, I, I haven't divorced, I'm not living in addiction to pornography, so I think I, 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 I'm doing okay. Well, brothers and sisters, that is laughable and that is weak and that is pathetic and that kind of so-called Christianity will bring you to hell. We need to leave worship saying this, I am not my own, but I belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am in Christ. I have perfect holiness in Christ. I have perfect righteousness in Christ. Our marriage, with all its problems, with all its warts, with all its challenges, and all of its pains, and all of its brokenness, our marriage is sanctified. It is made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our home is filled with the love of Christ. Our marriage is powered by the Spirit of Christ and the faithfulness and the love of our marriage comes from the heights of heaven itself. This is how we conquer the world. This is how we overcome the kingdom of darkness. This is how we are the light of the world. In the power of Christ, we celebrate life. We celebrate love. We celebrate faithfulness. We leave father and mother. We are joined to our wife. 
and we embrace the calling to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And if you're single and you have not been called as a special gift to be single for your whole life, then one of the things that God is calling on you to do right now is to get moving and find a wife, find a husband, and be married and desire children from the Lord. That is the glory of Christian marriage. We, we love life. We live in love. We delight in our spouse. We, we rejoice in our children and grandchildren because all, all of this is a taste of heavenly and eternal joy, the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the feast to which Jesus invites us. We're going to sing about this in Psalm 36. He invites us to drink from rivers of delight as we cherish the life and the love and the faithfulness of God that is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.